every day on the big show. What? Gordon and what? Jake want to keep you up to date on all the action, all the newsmakers, and all the big opinions on the Zone Sports Network. This is What's Going On on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Big show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time for What's Going On, where we check in with the other shows on the Zone Sports Network. Always look forward to it. Uh, you ready to get rolling there, Gordo? I am ready. Let's start with David and Pat uh, this morning. Of course, you can hear them from 6 to 10. Uh, they did a little diagnosis of their own on what's wrong with the Jazz. It was 96 all, and it ended up being a 16-4 to run for the Knicks to close and win the game. So now the Jazz are 4-4. Four and four, And the question of the day, what's wrong with the Jazz? Marco says, they don't have a bad guy. They need a bleepster in that locker room. Someone to kick their arse. <laughs> well, I was talking about that yesterday. I keep hearing about, you know, how BYU talks about the greatest locker room in the country and it's all great and stuff, and when you have that, and you know you, you want it, but at the same time, do they have a Jimmy Butler? Do they have somebody who's going to crack on people? Do you need that? Is that something that is a requirement? Do you need somebody who's going to have some issue? You know, we we talk about that. Is I don't care if they're best buddies. It really, just doesn't matter to me. I don't. I don't know these guys. I'm not interested in knowing any any of them. They're way younger than me, so I don't want to be their friends. It, it wouldn't happen anyway. We're just not of the same generation, uh, so I don't care about that stuff. And I look at you know somebody like is if you have somebody like that, is it necessarily a bad thing? Because the Warriors won a few titles with Draymond Green, and he seemed to have some trouble getting along with people, but yet they won titles. And as a fan. Isn't that what you ultimately want? And do you really care if they're best buds? You don't want a bunch of knuckleheads who are breaking the law and causing problems that get in the way of winning. But is some conflict necessarily bad? You need someone who can say the truth, even if the truth is freakishly uncomfortable. You don't need a steady diet of it. I think a steady, it's, it's weird. Like the right amount of it, I think, is very beneficial. And a steady diet of it, is detrimental. And if you're going to go to the Warriors, I think Draymond is right on that line. He is. He rides that line. Off the top of my head, we got to think uh, there's probably better examples, but I, off the top of my head, I can't think of someone who rides that line so well. Well, Jordan punched Steve Kerr. Yeah, there you go. That's a good one. I was going current, but if you want to go back 20 years or just go back to the summer when we watched it all relived in the documentary, um, yeah. And so you, you do need someone who says, like, this is the standard, and we got to meet the standard. Now, you don't need that yelled at you every day after you hear it a few times. Everybody just needs to know it. And then the group constantly, well, not constantly, but more often than not, the group meets that standard. And on the occasions where the group doesn't meet that standard, that's when you need that person to speak up. To hear from somebody 82 times, no, you don't. You, that, that's too much. Um, but the But the three to four times a year when things start to slip, you do need someone who will do that. 
And do they have that? If they do, it isn't immediately obvious to me who it is. I think one day it'll be Donovan, but I think to what you said about uh, Luka Doncic is 21, and we were talking about this a couple days ago, you, you just can't call people out when you're at that point in your career. But when you get into that, the prime of your career and you've seen it and you've lived it a few times, and, and Donovan's getting there. You know, I, I, one of the first signs that we see of it, I think, is when he says, hey, we got to stop losing the first round. You know, enough of that. We're done with that. Okay, he's lived it a couple times. He's felt it. He can talk about that pretty confidently now because he's been through it. And the more you go through it, the, I think the easier it gets to be that guy. But there's also something to be said that it's just part of somebody's personality. And so it's probably there. And maybe they don't say it the first couple of years they were in uh, – in the pros, but if they're uh, if they're in college for a while, it may be hard to say it as a freshman. There's so many one and done guys now. Um, but if you're in college for a while, you can say it then, or maybe you said it to your high school and your AAU teams because it's part of your personality. Is it part of his personality? I'm leaning towards yes, but we haven't seen it for sure, so I can't guarantee you that. But I do think when he starts saying things like "we're done with this losing the first round" thing, it's kind of a sign he's got a little bit of that. Well, he, I mean, he didn't have any problems saying that there was issues with uh, Gobert. He certainly yeah. hasn't had any problem of letting us know what uh, On political and social law issues. enforcement should be doing. Yeah. yeah. So why wouldn't it be there? I think it's there. You think he's crossed that line now where he can do that more often? Yeah. And maybe, maybe oh, this yeah. is the year we'll see it way more often. It's his team. He's the star. This is his organization now from the player perspective. Obviously, he doesn't own it. But from the player perspective, yeah, this is his team. It's a little early. I understand that. Yeah. But nevertheless. Yeah, but he just got the contract, the max contract extension, which is management saying. Now, I think we all knew management was going to do it a year or two ago. Of course. You mean that wasn't brain surgery? No, no, no. And it was just based on the NBA economic world. Obviously, it was deserved. No one's going to argue that. I mean, it's an outrageous amount of money, but that's what they're dealing with. So we all understand that. I've, I've come to terms with that a long time ago. Uh, hence, no losers in pro sports. But as far as whose team it is, if you can only keep one player. Donovan. Yeah. Donovan, you and I had this yeah. talk last spring. All right, there you go. That's that's DJ and PK. Interesting conversation from those guys. Uh, just to kind of advance what they're talking about, I think I think this Jazz team needs a little toughness. And I don't know if that's emotional. I don't know if that's a, a tight like a like a roster move, like a type of player that they need to acquire. But I I haven't seen a lot of tough, you know, what we'd consider traditional tough Jazz basketball this year. So is uh, where does where would it be necessary for something like that to come? Do you do you need it out of your star player? I mean, they talked about Jimmy Butler. Uh, is that is that what you need, or can it be somebody, you know, that plays the role of say Joe Ingles or somebody like that who can who can stir things up and get everybody fired? Um, I, I I don't know. Maybe it could be either one. I, I'm not sure. Um, I, I think it can be either one. Uh, you, you know, it's probably helpful if it's your star and veteran player like Jimmy Butler. You know, they, they oftentimes set the tone, and, and I think Donovan will if he doesn't already set the tone for this t- particular team. But we saw um, Jay Crowder set a tone on that team that, that came yeah. back to make the playoffs um, Donovan's rookie year, right? You know, just 
uh, uh, kind of that not back down type mentality. I, uh, I I think Steven Adams set that tone for Oklahoma City for a long, long time, and he wasn't necessarily their best player. So Matt Harpering set that tone for for a bunch of Jazz teams when he was here, and did he wasn't Carl, necessarily the, the best did player. Did Carl play that role? Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Don't you think? And yeah. and that was helpful because he was the best player, and Stockton was pretty tough too. So that and, and, that probably helped there. And maybe it helps even more when you're. <laughs> When you're built like Carl Malone, who's going to mess with you on the court? <laughs> That'll help. But you've you've seen like uh, like Isaiah Thomas, um, the the uh, more recent Isaiah Thomas. I think he's set uh, some toughness tones on those Celtics teams. Remember when he came back in that playoff run after the death of his sister, and where his hip was uh, was basically falling apart, and he knew he was going to have to have surgery, but he came back and played anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I I don't think it's all about size, but that probably helps. Um, all but, right, yeah. let me throw let me throw another name out there that jazz fans will probably go. What did you just say? How about Derek Fisher? I don't know if I think when, of... when he came back from his uh, his daughter's treatment thing, whatever that was. Yeah, well, that was did... certainly an inspiring moment. I mean, I was I think we both were in the building that night, and it was not it was... not really a tough guy. Moment. But I don't know if I'd consider Derek Fisher uh, yeah. a, like a tone setter tough guy. Yeah. What that about was... our guy uh, Trevor Riley when he played on an ACL? Yeah, on a torn ACL. You know, yeah. well, I mean, if we want to look football, I mean, there's. There's lots of uh, evidence. I mean, I think Kyle Whittingham's tough guy persona uh, drips down all throughout the team. So uh, who is it? Who in the NBA? Give me uh, a couple of names that that go right to the, the top of the list in this regard. Oh, Jimmy Butler for sure. Jimmy Butler. Who else? Ooh, let's is think. LeBron a tough guy? No. He's no. physically imposing. Well, I mean, he's he's physically gifted. And, what about and, Damian? I, I get a little tough guy from Damian, although yeah. he's not a he's not a big defensive player, which usually you see that kind of tough guy mentality True. coming from from, you know, like uh, wow, this is an interesting question. Let let's open uh, let's open the open mics. Who's a who's the example of a tough guy out there in the NBA? Would you say Patrick Beverly? Great example. Yeah, one hundred percent. I'd say Patrick Beverly. You would and he, as a tough kinda, guy. As a tough he's guy, kinda, he's, he's kind of a talker. skinny little guy. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, I mean, I still picture the dude who is how tall is Patrick? Six two, six three, and he Something went and like bodied up Kevin Durant for an entire series, and <laughs> and honestly had a big time impact because he got right up into him. True. Hmm. Would you say Chris Paul's a tough guy or yeah, more I just, obnoxious? I, it's so interesting that you said that because I I was pondering the same name. I don't know if I'd put him in that time. put him in that category. He's a manipulator, not a tough guy. But he uh, he carries some weight, man. Yeah, he's a manipulator. <laughs> yeah, he he's like that guy at the gym that that is the cheap shot artist. Like, would you? And not that Chris Paul is necessarily a cheap shot guy, but my point no, is, he is the the crafty. There's a whole reel of him hitting yeah, people in the crotch. The the crafty kind of gamesmanship kind kind of guy. I don't know if I'd call that tough. Nope. Is Kawhi Leonard a tough guy? No, you missed a half whole season. Yeah. Uh, because of a, a boo boo. If you fake an injury to get out of a, a market, <laughs> then you're not a tough guy. All right, I'm trying to think of who else fits the mold. Um, it's a dying breed. It is a yeah. little bit of a dying breed. But like Rajah Bell, uh, you know, those uh, those Phoenix Suns teams weren't necessarily tough, but he brought a certain amount of toughness to that team that made them harder to beat, I think. Yeah. You know, his going toe-to-toe with Kobe. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know if there are a whole lot of those players left, but I think the Jazz could use a little bit of that. I really do. And Rudy, Rudy's at some disadvantages based on his body type, where he can't be that Steven Adams-type tough guy. I mean, he struggles against centers that push him around a little bit. That was the problem with Jarrett Allen. He's got the high hips and that lanky build that makes it difficult for him to physically be that guy. But Rudy's got kind of a tough mentality, but I don't know if he's that... I don't know if he's that guy in the locker room. You know what I mean? Have you ever seen any of the jazz players getting uh, getting a, 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 a scuffle on the court? Not recently. Favors got into one with Plumley uh, a couple years back, but right. that was really nothing. And not that you have to to be a tough uh, to be a tough team. You have to go out and and fight everybody. But <laughs> I mean, I do think that there are, there are those players that add that edge to any roster that they're on. Yeah. I, I mean, it's not like Jay Crowder was was body slamming people, but he was you know puffing out his chest and and standing up and and kind of putting off that tough guy vibe that I think that other players feed off that stuff. Remember when uh, was it Ricky Rubio that got leveled in Minnesota? You know and yeah. And the response was not necessarily we're going to go take cheap shots at everybody or fight you, but it was like, hey, you're not going to do that to us. Also against the Suns yeah. when he got leveled. Right. Uh, in that regard, was Joe Ingles the definition of this? I don't think Joe Ingles was ever this. Not that he's not a, a hard-nosed player, but I don't know if – I don't know. How about Trevor Booker? Oh, he definitely was that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you can use a guy like that uh, when things get tough. I mean, it seems like when uh, when Donovan first came into the league, he was trying to be Mr. Nice Guy to everybody. He was trying to make friends. And um, maybe he's to the point now where he can turn that corner and can get after it a little bit. Uh, it, it, and that, that brings up another question. Can a guy of high character play that role? Oh, sure. Sure. I mean, I, I think Carl Malone was a pretty high character and played that role. Yeah. Okay. You know, the big dog Antoine Carr. Uh, Antoine had, uh, Carr. Had some pretty high character. I think he played that role a little bit on on many teams. He, he played that role when he played next to Tim Duncan there in San Antonio. Well, I certainly believe the Jazz can t- need, to, need to toughen up a little bit. Yep. And, I, I mean, that's kind of a cliche, and there may be all kinds of different ways to answer that or address it, but they need, they need someone to show some backbone when they're up against the wall, and that was something that was really important to Jerry Sloan. He he loved it when he well he I'm sure he'd prefer to win playoff series four zip just sweep and get done, but he used to I remember having conversations with him about when when the Jazz would lose two playoff games in a row, and I I thought he would be all angry and and. Uh, disgusted with the whole thing are you kidding me he was he was loving those moments because he and you remember jake he was he was actually more fun to talk to sometimes when the jazz were in a tough you think a tough guy like that would would be angry when the jazz uh didn't play well i think he cherished it man he wanted to see what his team was made of yeah it was yeah, it was definitely something that he appreciated, and there, there maybe, was a certain tone set from him too. Maybe a coach can set that tone. Yeah, maybe. Because Jerry, I don't know too many people who wanted to mess with him. Where are you at, Vince Lagarza? I, I'm telling you right now, I don't think <laughs> if you take you when Jerry when Jerry was uh, midway through his time with the Jazz, 
I don't think the Big Show could have taken him. All three of us combined. He would have whooped all of us at the same time. Would have been like one of those movies where, you know, one person takes on everybody. I wouldn't have wanted to mess with Jerry Sloan. All three of us. You think we could have taken him? Well, you'd start pulling his hair and stuff, and then Austin and I'd get embarrassed, and it just wouldn't go well. <laughs> that's that's setting the tone. You'd Jerry probably. Sloan did. I'd I'd Oof. have to be beyond description livid to even think about entertaining the idea of scrapping with Jerry Sloan. <laughs> uh, let's hey Gordon, let's get this clip in from Hans and Scotty because I All actually right. think uh, Hans has some insight here, and it's about the BYU coaching staff. And uh, a possible departure of Eric Mateo. So I want to want to make sure we get this in this segment. Hit it, Austin. Interesting news on the offensive line front for Baylor. Ryan Pugh was offered the job, accepted the job. It was announced that he was going there. Uh, and then an announcement came out, I think, was it late last night or earlier this morning, that that job offer had been rescinded by Baylor. And now I know there were some people that were nervous when Jeff Grimes took the OC job that Eric Mateos may go. And then I think people at BYU breathed a bit of a sigh of relief when Pugh got the job. And now um, I think uh, BYU fans probably nervous again that they might lose their offensive line coach. And you tweeted out that uh, there's a a pretty good likelihood that that might be the case. Well, I I believe it to be. um, I think common sense just leads you to believe that if Jeff Grimes – was not able to get Coach Pugh to make that transition for one reason or the other. And I know everybody wants details on it. I really don't even care about the details. He just was unable to be hired as the offensive line coach. Then my thought is that he would go to Eric Mateos, the offensive line coach that he had here at BYU and had a good run with. And he he really had good success with both Coach Pugh and Coach Mateos as kind of his right-hand man. But make no mistake that the majority of the offensive line success that we've seen at BYU comes from Jeff Grimes. And I know Jeff would not be happy with me saying it that way, would be my guess. If he was listening, I'd probably get a text that would say, hey, you're off on this. Uh, I would disagree with him, and I would say I, I don't think I'm off on this. I think that I think that he is the offensive line genius, and I think that the coaches that have an opportunity to coach with him learn a lot from him and come a long way and develop as offensive line coaches. But I believe that Jeff Grimes is the mastermind. I've always felt like that, whether it was Coach Pugh or Coach Mateos. Now, I don't want to take away from Coach Mateos. Because I think that he's got good intentions. I think that he is a spirited coach, and I, I, I'm sure that he does a lot of good things. But, but Jeff Grimes is the mastermind. When you've got Jeff Grimes there, whoever is the offensive line coach is just going to be an arm or an extension of what Jeff Grimes is doing. Gotcha. Then you just need somebody who's a good extension, somebody that brings energy, passion, uh, that can learn what you need them to learn. And, and teach what you need them to teach. So uh, if, if Mateos is in fact gone, which I would suspect that he would be, then you open up that offensive line coaching search to a, a, a lot of 
great potential offensive line coaches. I think that there are plenty out there that would love to come in and take over this BYU offensive line. I think with the uh, the horses you have in that stable um, and the scheme that uh, is really kind of centered in there, you just need somebody to come in and not grind the gears and let that thing go and uh, keep these guys on pace, and you should be in pretty good shape. I don't know, Hans. What, what, what are you up to these days? Is there going to be a phone call made? So, uh, well, we'll see. I uh, Okay. I, All right. I, I don't know are at you, this point. I, you may be. Are, are you upset about the tree segment again? I'm sorry. <laughs> now, wh- whether I accept it or not, no. No. I, uh, I would assume that I would not get an opportunity there. If you were to coach a position group, is that what you what you would want to coach? Yes, hundred percent. No question about it. Yeah, uh, Lloyd. Much more suited get... to coach offensive line than defensive line. I. What? I'm just saying I'm nervous. That's all. <laughs> oh no, there's no, there's nothing to be nervous about. Look, you you would leave us for ESPN in a national broadcast play by play voice far before. I would leave. To okay, be now if you're going to say the governor's cabinet, I would have agreed with it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounded more likely right now. Uh, Don't you I leave think, us, Scotty? I think both of them are. Um, Pipe let's dreams. go zero point zero. Yeah, neither one of those things are going to happen. There you go, Hans and Scotty talking about Eric Mateos and. Um, you know, I, I, I really, what Han said there uh, stood out to me, uh, Gordon, that, you know, uh, Mateos did a lot of things, I'm sure, for PYU, as, as Pew did as well, and, and they're good coaches. But, you know, uh, as Grimes said uh, on our airwaves with DJ and PK earlier this week, the O-line was his baby. And his track record of being a fine O-line coach is, is very, very long. So, you know, the... Uh, they were going to have to work on replacing that coaching regardless of, of whether Coach Mateos left or stayed, or leaves or stays, I should say. Yeah, when I wrote a column and I talked on our show about uh, that that the uh, the Cougars would be fine with uh, Aaron Roderick taking over, I, you know, maybe I should have given Jeff Grimes more credit for that offensive line uh, work because he is very good at that. I think uh, A-Rod will be just as good, if not better, uh, probably better in some ways, uh, running an offense on the whole. But BYU needs someone to coach up that offensive line. And and maybe like I like what Hans said there because he said there's a lot of good offensive line coaches out there. So maybe maybe that can be replaced, get somebody who – demands everything that you were talking about, Jake, that BYU should be. They should be able to recruit those kinds of guys, big, strong guys who want to play that position and uh, and coordinate them the way they need to be coordinated. Uh, sounds, sounds like a good plan to me. I mean, I know, yeah, I think BYU can accomplish that and not really skip much of a beat. Now, whether Hans should take over or not, I think Hans would do a great job at that. I'll campaign for Hans, not that he would accept it, because Hans, you know, I mean, he's doing great what he's doing now. But uh, they, they can find somebody who, who knows how to, to do those things, and Hans would be one of them. But but there's probably others as well that they that they can 
draw in and utilize while A-Rod runs the whole offense, which I think he'll do extremely capably. Yeah, they'll they'll uh, need to make a good hire that's not Hans. I don't know. I don't know if I share your <laughs> optimism that Hans would be a good coach. Maybe, I, maybe just because I have a passion for the offensive line, and, and Hans does too. Or, or if maybe not a passion, but an appreciation for it. No, no, no. I mean, Hans talking about that offensive line. The the knowledge is there, and and he's a good communicator, but he's also a tad emotional. And if you've heard (laughs) Hans talk about his previous forays into the coaching realm, it hasn't necessarily gone well. So, how is probation going? Yeah, I think the story culminates with him like tearing out a tongue ring or something. A nose ring. Oh, it was a nose ring. Yeah, I believe a tongue ring. I thought it was a tongue ring for some reason. Well. It shouldn't have been done. No, <laughs> so I, I heard society frowns. I think upon there that, were some yeah. some grumpy people about uh, about all that, and I think he has to try really, really hard uh, to to be a good sports parent uh, when his kids are involved too. So I, you know, I don't know, <laughs> I, I don't know how easy it would be for him to be a coach. Well. BYU needs to get a good coach in there who can coach up those offensive linemen and keep that uh, keep that that good vibe going because they do have some talent there and it takes a lot of coordination i talked with jeff grimes for probably 45 minutes just me and him sitting in his office and he was breaking down offensive line play and i'm telling one a lot of it was counterintuitive two it's 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 very cerebral no it's not uh, it is. No, it's not. There's a lot of coordination going on there, oh, maybe. as opposed to defensive linemen. Okay, all right, yeah. a, a, a tad cerebral. Yeah, okay, but I, I don't believe that you enjoy it. I like. It was very interesting to me. No, I doubt. All the the you know all the stance and the balance and that is uh, you're, you're needed. Fibbing. No, it's, I swear to you. I sat there. I took notes on what he was telling me. Mm-hmm. I'd have to find them, but I've, I've forgotten most of them. I mean, what they were said, they but... were probably relevant and accurate, but but you weren't into it. Yes, I was. I liked it. It was interesting to me because it was he was talking a language that was uh, I was unfamiliar with, and it was much more detailed, like a lot of things in life that people think are are relatively simple, much more complex than you might think. All right, so, stay you know, stay tuned. Not, not 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 just coaching them up individually. <clears throat> but especially coordinating everyone because that that of all the places in football where a group needs to be together, that's where you begin right there. We'll get to more straight ahead. Stay tuned. 97.5 and 1280 of the zone. Locked on to the Big Show, presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on winter tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. It's the Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Thank you for making us a part of your day. Uh, Gordon, you know, we don't say we don't say thanks to our listeners enough. I, you know, we we really are thankful that uh, so many people join us every day. Yeah, no doubt about it. Always appreciative, and uh, thanks for uh, to their support. Always. Um, 
Gordon Ryan Smith, uh, the new owner of the Utah Jazz, uh, was on. Actually, he was on our pregame show uh, on New Year's uh, Eve, which was pretty fun. We sat down, we talked to him for for almost half an hour. But um, he also went on the Woj podcast this weekend or this this past weekend, and uh, and talked about a, a new initiative that they're doing with the Utah Jazz that is really cool. Let's uh, give that a listen. In tech, if I were just to say to a ratio standpoint. We were spending probably 50 to one efforts on other things as opposed to um, social justice issues. And I truly believe that we have platforms to do good and systemic racism or unconscious bias around racial issues or social issues. It's real. We had it within our own organization. And it wasn't that people were consciously trying to do something. It's just we weren't active in saying, hey, we're gonna go use our platform to drive systematic change. And we have equity problems across pay, across race, within our communities. And I just wanna look back and say, hey, I did everything I possibly could to make the world a more equitable place. And I'll just tell you, like, we have not been doing everything we possibly can. And people have been using the platform of the NBA to go and and drive that change. And, you know, I think the one thing that doesn't get talked about is how the players came together to have a very constructive voice around getting people out to vote. They weren't telling people how to vote. They were saying, hey, come out and vote. And we drove more people than ever to vote. I think the NBA has a big, big piece of pride that they should have in that of using the platform to do good. That is a very kind and honest and earnest ask for folks and our group plans on using the jazz to in this platform to be able to drive proper changes that frankly should have been done a long time ago but to help better our communities one of the things that we're doing is for every jazz win this year we're offering a four-year scholarship to an underrepresented or minority kid who can now go to college pretty cool gesture right there a scholarship for every win that's pretty amazing yeah, it is. Yeah, that is, and uh, a terrific idea. Well, certainly, I, I would guess that uh, players appreciate the support uh, from ownership, and not that the Miller family wasn't supportive, because I think they really went out of their way to be. Uh, but uh, I think um, you know these issues are something that are very important to the league's players, and uh, I think uh, he's um, I, supporting. I, I liked what he said there, using the platform of the NBA to to further equality, and I think that's that's very much uh, something that he's interested in and in making an impact. I mean, he said it right there. Well, a lot of companies should and do do that, but uh, the NBA. There's a lot of interest in the NBA. There's a lot of outside interest in it, and a lot of people watching what they do, and you know the power of sports. It's it's like. We all try to live decent lives so that we can set a good example for our families and for our loved ones and for our friends and for anybody. And uh, but but you know, a pro athlete has that that uh, the potential to really capture the imagination of the people around them and to have a, have a positive influence. Um, and so, in a case like this as opposed to some other company, which is doing good. Uh, if an NBA team does that, maybe more people will pay attention to it and follow that example too. 
Austin will appreciate this. Uh, I saw a funny meme out there on Twitter uh, talking about uh, this this scholarship program, and it said, uh, it said, it, Ryan Smith, if the Jazz win 60 games, and it showed a picture of Michael Scott in the Scott's Tots episode <laughs> sitting, <laughs> sitting there with the, the, the class. I thought that was I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> the, the, the crux of that episode being Michael makes a promise that he'll give a scholarship to everyone that graduates high school when they're in like second grade. Yeah. And then they all graduate high school and come a calling. And <laughs> it's one of the more funny episodes. So he it buys really them all is. a laptop battery. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Here's a laptop battery. <laughs> so I thought that meme was pretty funny. That's but what good. what a what a great gesture. No, I, I think that's yeah. that's really cool. And you know what, uh, sports franchises they're they're different than norm, uh, uh, um, owning a, a normal business. There's more of a role right. in the community. More of a, a you're more of a face of a community. And uh, it, there is some responsibility in that, so uh, I thought that was that was an excellent gesture. And you know, that's always sort of—I uh, don't want to use the word bothered, but it's—it's it's been something that I've wondered about through the years because I, you know, when going back to when Charles Barkley said uh, he's, "Hey, I'm not a role model." Well, the the athlete isn't the one who decides whether you're a role model or not. Uh, you might decide whether you're going to be a positive role model. But you're a role model because society makes you one. Yep. You know, and sometimes that needs to be governed, I think, a little more carefully with, uh, with uh, by parents who, uh, you know, because some athletes might not be the most positive role model, but they're a role model because that's that's what society dictates them to be. So Charles Barkley and people like that have no choice in the matter. You are, whether you want to be or not. All right, we do have some jazz news real quick. Gordon, this just coming out a minute ago. Um, it's the injury report, and there's one little surprising note here. But uh, to go through it, Jarrell Brantley out, not with the team. Juwan Morgan out, health and safety protocols. Derek Favors probable with right knee soreness, something he's been dealing with for a couple of weeks now. And Joe Ingles questionable, right? Achilles soreness. First of all, you never want to see Achilles on an injury report, but is the streak in jeopardy? Mm, yeah, I don't know. Bowler reminds everybody every game that uh, that Joe the Iron Man is out there for another one. I I don't know the severity of that. You know, I, I'm not a doctor. I do know that the Achilles uh, is it's connected to, to the, the foot, foot bone. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but we certainly hope that Joe is. We've heard is this okay. story a hundred times. Let's move on. Well, I'm sure they're they're approaching it with caution, but man, yeah, anytime you see Achilles up there, you man, be careful. No streaks worth that. Do you think that Derek Favors has hurt more than what we've been let on? I'm not sure. I mean, he keeps making it onto the injury report. He's uh, he. I, I don't know. I I think he has the potential to be more explosive than what we've seen. On that note, have you been paying attention to how many minutes uh, Rudy and Derek have played together this year? <laughs> yeah, it's been kind of slim, huh? Uh, I think the number is zero. We're gonna <laughs> maybe we'll ask Locke about it, but I'm pretty sure the number is zero. Yeah, yeah, that's the way it's been. All right, stay tuned. Uh, we've got uh, coming up next. We have Austin's list coming up next. Austin oh. is, is shaking, uh, shaking or nodding his head and has a is devious look up? on his face. So Austin? we'll get to that coming up next. Stay tuned. 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. There isn't much that makes Austin Horton angry. Wait. 
Who are we kidding? Almost everything makes Austin upset. This is Austin's airing of grievances. The tradition begins with the airing of grievances. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time for Austin's list. Our producer, Austin Horton, has an enemies list, and we put people on that list all the time. Who's going on it today, Austin? I've got two stories to share with you guys today. Uh, uh, McDonald's in New Jersey is the site of uh, this problem that occurred. Uh, The police were dispatched to uh, this McDonald's in New Jersey because the customers and employees alike were being uh, harassed and to the point of fear uh, by an unwanted visitor or two. It It turned out to be a few of them. Uh, and the unwanted visitor was just a chicken and a hen, a rooster and a hen. Who were harassing the employees that and were customers. chasing people around the parking lot and not allowing them to get in their cars without, you know, fluttering after them and trying to peck them. And uh, the people that go on the list are those who called the police for this. Why? How, it? However, however. It's a chicken. Punt yeah, no. it into the field and oh, go no. on with your day. There's no need to waste our tax dollars on the police coming out to attack chickens. They've got better things to do. What this tells me is that you've never wrangled chickens before because I'm telling you. I didn't say wrangle it. I said punt it. They can be be tough birds. They really can. So can my boot. It's it's less about (laughs) the threat of the chicken in my mind and more about the bozo who actually thinks owning a chicken is a good idea and not penning a chicken is the good like to I, I want the owner that's just unleashing his well, dumb chickens onto the world. I want that person held accountable. It's funny you say that because there was there's an addendum to this. It's not those only who called the police, but also the fact that the uh, owner showed up at the police station after the ch- chickens were captured and uh, reclaimed the chickens and received no fine, no punishment, See, nothing. That, yeah, I got an issue with that. Now, well, if the if the officers were like e- eating the chicken after frying it when the owner got there, then that would be that would be amazing. But but yeah, they should have incarcerated that guy. I've had it I've had it up to here with it with reckless pet owners. If I get if I get chased in my car uh, by another neighborhood dog straight down the street who always scares the living you know what out of me as it's and just starts taking off after me like a bat out of hell and. I don't want to run over somebody's dog, you know, but it is it is driving me a bit bananas. Wait, wait, so. wait, wait, Jake, you have dogs on the loose on your street? Uh, well, it's happened to me several <laughs> times and not necessarily on my street, but yeah. Jake uh, is the dad in a Christmas story. The neighborhood dogs just come uh, howling around the all bumpkis the time. Sounds yeah. the bumpkis sounds. Is that what it was? Bumpkis? No. no, not bumpus. Bumpus. Yeah. Bumpus. That's, anyway. Uh, this is what inspired me to, to get a dog initially for my wife because she used to run, go on these runs through the neighborhood. This was 20 years ago, but uh, a, a dog came out and, uh, and bit her while she was running by a house. And I said, enough of that. So I went, went and got the biggest, nastiest dog I could find. We loved him. Great dog. Uh, but she, then she, she never ran alone again. And I'm telling you, one time, uh, it's just good. It's good to have a companion you can trust. Let's say it that way. And then, but, the, but, oh, but you guys ripping the chicken owner. Come on, back that, off a little bit. Put that bro in jail. <laughs> take his you. take his chickens and and, and defeather them right in front of him. 
and then throw away the key. You mean pluck him? Yeah. I, I, I Look, as the owner of two chickens, and they weren't chickens farm chickens. They were pet chickens. And you were not a good chicken owner, might I? I well. <laughs> Hence the demise. Yeah, exactly. If I had had a dog with me along with my chicken, then your dog would have eaten your chicken. Yeah. How about you just keep the chicken away from the dog? Or in a pen. Or, yeah, or but not have it in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> but you know the tragic end of the story. Huey's dog got loose. Why didn't you pick up the chicken? I tried. Circle it of life. It was too man. late. The bad, food chain. Hashtag bad pet owner. <laughs> <laughs> Secondly, the, the second story that I've got for you today. A man named uh, Robert Galinsky of Yonkers, New York, is suing King's Hawaiian Rolls. Now, when I saw this headline, I thought, okay, he bit into a roll and there was a, a, a mouse bone or something in it. <laughs> uh, which, you know, I've had similar things happen to me at different places, like eating half a Band-Aid at a popular oh, hamburger joint oh, once. Disgusting. Yep. But, uh, no, he's suing them because King's Hawaiian Rolls, not made in Hawaii, and he's claiming that he would not have purchased this $3.84 bag of rolls had he known it wasn't actually a Hawaiian product. It's right there on the labeling, made in Torrance, California. But he's suing King's Hawaiian Rolls for, for that, for false advertising. And so I guess the theme of today is wasting our government's resources on petty, ridiculous things. If you're doing that, you're going on the list. That seems like have you, like, have, you, have, you had, have you had the Hawaiian product, the Hawaiian bread, bread uh, rolls and stuff? One, they're they're really tasty. Two, I I used to always get those when I went to Hawaii, and they taste better in Hawaii than they do in, on the mainland. They're made in California. Yeah. I I know, but I, I can't explain it to you. But anyway, to sue somebody for something like that, come on. I bet garbage tastes better in Hawaii. It's a whole, you're in Hawaii. A hot pocket would taste better there. So anyway, stop wasting everyone's resources on dumb things. You're on the list. There you go. I love it. Austin, how many, how long is your list now? Oh, we're on page two now. <laughs> okay. Single spaced. Rolls are just so much better when uh, cooked in a money fired oven. <laughs> it, just, it just tastes so much better going down. When they've been cooked over a flame fueled by hundreds. <laughs> I've got a request. Austin, can I add a name to the list? Okay. Who, who might that be? How about Sven? No. Sven, Sven is uh, the, the brainchild of this show. Every funny thing comes from either Sven or you, Chasta. Why do you want to uh, add him to the list? Because, because he, he knows you better than you know you? <laughs> that might be a problem. We got this tweet from Sven that said, G Jeff Grimes said one thing about blocking, and Gordon Monson interrupted with, when, when I played quarterback, I had a lineman named Olaf uh, uh, Linington. Uh, well, <laughs> we, called him, we called him Blockhead, see, because he, he wasn't real smart, but he had a head for blocking. <laughs> and 45 minutes later, Grimes kicked him out. And that's, <laughs> so you're mad at Sven for being accurate. Uh, yeah, probably more than I want to admit. Yeah. Was Olaf Linington related to Bill Puxley? <laughs> That's a pretty good name. Did you Olaf take him Linington. to the rodeo when you got that uh, cow plop in your Diet Coke? <laughs> cow plop? What? 
Oh, man. Stay tuned. Sam Sven, Amick. Is, Sven is pretty funny, isn't he? He is. Sam Amick's going to join the show next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.